Greetings, friends and brethren. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Bible News Prophecy Channel. And today, I'd like to talk about who gave the world the Bible? You know, who had the chain of custody? This is actually the 11th video that we've done related to a book we've got, and this is just a draft of the cover, Who Gave the World the Bible? And talk, we go into the canon and such things. Today is basically the concluding message of this. Now these messages are available at the Bible News Prophecy channel as well as our continuing COG channel. So some are in one, some are in the other. But the book, by the way, is available free online at www.ccog.org. That's ccog.org. Go to the literature tab under books and booklets. You'll see a list and you'll see covered looks just like this. You can click on there and the book is free. There's no cost, no obligation. We don't ask you for email address. Well, in summary, the short answer is who gave the world the Bible? God did. Now, did God inspire translators of the Septuagint to improve his own words as many of the Eastern Orthodox claim? No. Were the apostles Peter, Paul, and John involved? Yes. Did God inspire the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, to add words to the Bible that he didn't originally have? No, Martin Luther did anyway. Did God inspire translators of the King James Version to be true without error, as some Protestants claim? No. And before I go any further, the details of this are in this particular book, as well as some of the other messages that we've done. Now, did the Church of Rome give the world the Bible on its own? No. But was the Church of God involved in preserving and translating the Word of God? Yes. Now, how did God give the world the Bible? Well, writers throughout the centuries were moved by the Holy Spirit to record uh, written inspired words. And you can see that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 and 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. And for the last book of the Bible, Jesus instructed the Apostle John to write what he saw. As the last writer of the New Testament, and he knew both Peter and John, as you can read in Galatians 2, 9, the Apostle John would be the first person who could have known or even possessed what's called the canon of Scripture. Jesus had the New Testament canon finalized in Asia Minor uh, via John. Rome later accepted that canon. Now, the Apostle John passed the knowledge of the canon seemingly along with the books themselves to a successor by the name of Polycarp of Smyrna and perhaps others. Now, Polycarp uh, demonstrated familiarity with all the books of the New Testament. We've got a writing from him called uh, his letter to the Philippians, which I've gone through. And in that particular letter, he either quotes or refers to each of the books of the uh, New Testament. Furthermore, a successor of Polycarp by the name of Melito of Sardis he listed the books of the Old Testament. I believe he listed all of them, and even according to Roman Catholic sources, and they consider Melito to be a saint, one of their saints, although 
That's another discussion. He didn't include any of the extra works, extra books, which we tend to call the Old Testament Apocrypha, but the uh, Greco-Romans, I means the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholics, tend to call those the deuterocanonical work books, the second set. But Melito didn't have them in his list. Throughout early history, church history, we see that uh, church leaders, such as uh, Polycrates of Ephesus, asserted that they had the entire Bible. There's also lots of evidence that leaders who held Church of God doctrines were involved in the preservation and the chain of custody uh, of Scripture, such as people in Antioch like uh, Serapion and uh, Lucian. And even into the Middle Ages, we have the uh, pre-Waldensians and the Waldensians. Some of them were involved. And in later times, there's been a, a Church of God translation into English in the 21st century. Now, none of the so-called lost books of the Bible, lost Gospels, or Old Testament Apocrypha were part of the original Christian canon. Nor was the Koran or the Book of Mormon. So, no, in the continuing Church of God, we do not believe that some group of men conspired to keep away these writings out of the true canon. Those other books were simply not scripture. Now, I want to talk about timeline. Now, this particular book goes into the timeline of custody. And we've got approximate dates. We're going to hold up one chart for just a moment, and I'll read from it in a moment as well. Because we basically have two different timelines. One is the timeline that we in the Church of God hold as what happened in terms of chain of custody of Scripture. And the other is basically the position of most Greco-Roman or Protestant scholars. Now you can see, and I'll read some of this in just a moment, you can see that a lot of these are the same for a while, but then they start to be different. So let's talk about some of them. I'm going to read through that chart. Uh, basically, uh, we're going to start around 66 uh, AD, plus or minus. We see that in 2 Timothy 4, 11 through 13, Paul writes that Mark is to bring the parchments. And that's accepted by the Church of God as well as the Greco-Roman Protestants. And in 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, we see that uh, Peter has Paul's writings. Now, we think he had all of them. The Greco-Roman Protestants think he had at least some of them. We find, we believe that John got writings from Peter, and we think that the Greco-Roman Protestants accept that. And Peter and Paul were killed. Both sides agree with this. Now, we both agree that in Patmos, John pens the last book of the Bible, Although Greek Orthodox thinks somebody else penned it, but generally speaking, that's the position of scholars. But the Church of God, we would also mention that John is the last uh, disciple to be involved in binding and sealing Scripture. Now, if you've got your Bible, I want to go to the book of Isaiah. and Because I think Isaiah 8, verse 16 is... Uh, kind of critical to understanding what was prophesied to happen. Particularly when we talk about Scripture and what we're going to call the chain of custody. So, 
God inspired Isaiah, Isaiah 8, verse 16, and I'll be reading this from the New King James Version, but if you're Greco-Roman, you'll find other translations will say basically the same thing. Bind the, up the testimony and seal, seal the law among my disciples. So we in the Church of God hold to the view that John was the last of the original apostles, uh, he was the last of the original writers of the New Testament. And while working with Paul and Peter, and then with Jesus to, to write the last book of the New Testament, that he sealed it. And this was prophesied to happen. And therefore, we believe that the New Testament church had the knowledge of the books from the beginning, from the time of John. Now, both groups believe that John then moved to Ephesus. And now here's where you get some differences. There was somebody by the name of uh, Papias of Heropolis. In around 120 AD, he cited the book of Revelation as scripture. Greco-Romans, even though they call him a saint, they weren't so sure about that. I mentioned before Polycarp of Smyrna. Now Polycarp, as I alluded to before, he either quoted or alluded to all 27 books of the New Testament, including Hebrews, 2 Peter, and James. And he notes that those of Philippi were, quote, well-versed in the sacred scriptures. Well, how can you be well-versed in the sacred scriptures? Now this is early 2nd century A.D., how could you be well-versed in sacred scriptures if you don't know what they are? Now, the Greco-Roman Protestants know that Polycarp wrote, yeah, they were well-versed in sacred scriptures, but they seem to not make the connection that therefore they knew what they were. Now, I held up this chain of custody paper, and again, the chart's actually a lot longer. Now, a couple of things on the Greco-Roman side that are not on the Church of God side. And that is around 160 A.D., the Greco-Romans, at least some of them, uh, considered that something called the Shepherd of Hermas and the Gospel of Peter were considered to be Scripture, but not in the Church of God. Now, around 175, the Greco-Romans somewhat have their first canon. It's called the Muratorian Canon, but it includes books that are not in the New Testament, specifically something called the Apocalypse of Peter, and the wisdom of Solomon, but also it excludes, excludes the book of Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and one of John's epistles. Going down the, further down in the chain of custody, we get now to Melito, and uh, uh, both sides realize that Melito listed the books, and that he did not have the Apocrypha in it, yet, this is around 175 AD, yet now we see that the Greco-Romans, but not the Protestants, generally, uh, use the Apocrypha. Now, around 192 AD, Plurcrates of Ephesus said he and others had gone through every Holy Scripture. Now, the only way they could have gone through every Holy Scripture is if they had the knowledge of the entire Bible. So the canon was known. Now before going further, people say, wait a second, you're quoting people like P 
Papias and Polycarp and Melito and Polycrates. Don't the Greco-Romans say that they were their saints? Certainly they say that they were their saints, but they've got a couple of problems. What kind of problems? Those people held Church of God doctrine. Now, specifically, Polycarp and others there were Binitarian. They were not Trinitarian. Secondly, they all held to keeping Passover on the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar called uh, 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 Nisan or Aviv. And they also taught the millennium. Those are, none of those are officially taught by the Greco-Roman churches. Now some Protestants teach some of this, some of that, but these people were Church of God leaders, not uh, Greco-Roman leaders. We have a, another book which is also free called the Continuing History of the Church of God. This is also available at the ccog.org website. Okay, go under the literature tab under books and booklets. You can find this and you can read it. And you can read from Greco-Roman Protestant accepted sources that scholars or writers demonstrate that these people believe what I just said they believed. And these are the people who had the chain of custody. These were Church of God leaders. Next part is around 209, Serapion of Antioch, who was also a Church of God leader and also kept Passover on the 14th. He condemned people in the Alexandria area for using the Gospel of Peter. And he, when he went to see them, he said, I had supposed that you were part of the true faith, but when I got there, I saw you reading this Gospel of Peter, so I know you weren't part of us. But the Greco-Romans were still using the false Gospel of Peter. Furthermore, getting back to Serapion of Antioch, he said, in around 209 AD, plus or minus, that the books were handed down to those in uh, Antioch and Asia Minor. Which again means he's saying the true church of God had the chain of custody of Scripture again, which is what Polycrates said. That's what Polycarp said. And he said that of the the, uh, Philippians as well, that they all had it. But that's not the position of the Greco-Roman Protestants. Well, they know that these people said what I just said they said. But for some reason, they don't think they had chain of custody. But again, they, they, they're all considered, uh, the Church of God leaders are considered saints by the Church of God, but they're also called saints by the Greco-Roman Protestants, even though these people held Church of God doctrine. Now getting back to some issues on the uh, Greco-Roman Protestant side, around 180 to 250, there was a school in Alexandria, Egypt, uh, led by Origen, and he c- classifies Hebrews, Second Peter, Second Third John, James, and Jude as questionable writings, but they were already accepted by the Church of God. Around 230 A.D., Origen sees major problems with the Septuagint texts that they used because they considered them basically corrupted, but they were still being used. Now around 250, Serapion, excuse me, not, yeah, yeah, Serapion of Carthage, not a Church of God leader, nor his origin, by the way, his first 
Latin Bible fails to include. So the first Bible in Latin, at least from their St. Cyprian, does not have Hebrews, Second John, James, or Jude. On the other hand, around 250 to 312, there was a school in Antioch. Now Antioch is uh, uh, just south of Asia Minor. Uh, and at that school, which had somebody by the name of Lucian, as well as his predecessors, they actually, as long as the Septuagint, said this translation from the Hebrew Old, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Masoretic text, uh, into uh, Greek wasn't perfect. So they went back, they looked at the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, said, you know, we should go back and look at the Hebrew text and fix it. So you have people like Lucian who did this, and he also edited basically what ended up being known as the traditional text of the Greek New Testament. And our chart continues, and I'm going to go through this chart because a lot of people have been misled. A lot of people who have degrees in theology, and basically every book on the canon that I read, whether it was written by uh, a Roman Catholic, comments about by Greek Orthodox, or written by Protestants, they miss much of this. Oh, there are some writers who said, look, the books obviously were inspired from the beginning, and therefore they must always have been true. And we didn't need councils of men to figure that out. Okay, I don't argue with that. But what I'm saying is that if you look at what the normal scholar, most of the scholars say, they see all this stuff wrong on the Greco-Roman side. That's why they said nobody knew the canon from the beginning. Yet if they would have looked at the Church of God side, as well as some scriptures, they would have known, been able to know, should have known, that the true Church of God had the custody for the whole time. And to make it clear for everybody, in case my words aren't clear enough, if you want more references, you can go to the book that I've held up before, uh, Who Gave the World the Bible. And this goes into more detail with lots of references, and we're talking about references that are generally accepted by scholars, but for some reason, or different reasons, they haven't put them together in a way that I think makes sense, or is consistent with Scripture. Now anyway, getting back to problems with the Greco-Roman list, and I'm going in chronological sequence. Around 320 A.D., the church historian Eusebius writes that uh, Hebrews, James, Jude, Second Peter, Second John, Third John, and Revelation are still disputed. On the other hand, around uh, uh, 367, I think it was 367, Athanasius lists the 27 books of the New Testament. So finally, you've got a, a one on the Greco-Roman side. This is a, he's Greek. He lists all 27 books. You say, well, that solved it. And I've read writings from, uh, let's say, Roman Catholic supporters. They say, see, we already knew the books. Well, you better get going further because they still had problems within the Greco-Roman world. Around 380, Canon 85 of the so-called Apostolic Constitutions includes two epistles of Clement among its sacred books. Okay, well, those aren't part of the New Testament, by the way. All right, in 382, there's something called the, uh, the Masson Catalog, and it's got a canon for the Roman Church with the book of Hebrews. She says, okay, they have it by now. Well, there's still issues. 
around 382 to 395, we find out that we have Nazarene Christians. Now, these are people who are going to church on Saturday. Uh, oh, I should have also mentioned that Lucian of Antioch was also going to church on Saturday, and he was a Benetarian. So he also wasn't one of the Greco-Romans. Uh, the Nazarene Christians also kept the Feast of Tabernacles and things like that. They used the Old and New Testaments, but without the Apocrypha. Now, around 382 to 395, Jerome works, Jerome, who is a doctor of the Roman Catholic Church, he works on something called the Latin Vulgate Bible. But he doesn't want to include the Apocrypha. And he also notices that some of the texts that are used are corrupted. In terms of what texts are the best, etc., this also is discussed in detail in our book, Who Gave the World the Bible. Now, around 382 to 404, uh, Jerome consults with one or more Nazarene Christians on the canon. And the Nazarenes, by the way, are continuing with the original canon because they've got chain of, part of the chain of custody. Now, 393, Augustine of Hippo, sometimes called Augustine, he said that Hebrews was still disputed. Around 405 A.D., Pope Innocent I left Hebrews out of his New Testament canon that he sent to somebody called Exuperius. So he left it out. So Rome still wasn't sure. Now, around 405 A.D., Jerome completes the Bible, his Bible, and after succumbing to pressure, he ends up including what we call the Apocrypha, even though he had argued against those books. Now, at 419 A.D., there was a Council of Carthage, and they adopted the catalog of the canon. Now, between the 5th and 16th centuries, we have evidence that Proto-Waldensians and Waldensians preserve and translate the books. These Proto-Waldensians and Waldensians, some of them were Sabbath keeper, Church of God people. Not all with those names were called that, but we find that they preserved the books. Now, between the 12th and 5th centuries, we find that the Waldensian books were taken by supporters of Rome. And in the 12th to 15th centuries, there were edicts against the Waldensians issued by the Roman Catholics. There was a, an 1184 from the Synod of Verona, and in 1215 from the Fourth Lateran Council, and in 1487, a bull by Pope Innocent VII. In 1522, this is again on the non-Church of God side, Martin Luther included the Apocrypha in his translation of the Bible. Interesting. 16th century, Huldrych Zwingli did not accept Revelation as Scripture. Again, that's a Protestant reformer here. In 1546, Martin Luther still doubted the inclusion of Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation. You're a Protestant. And by the way, we in the Continuing Church of God are not Protestant. We have a book called Hope of Salvation. How the Continuing Church of God differs from Protestantism. You can see it's a fairly thick book. And it's free online. You can read this because we're not Protestant. But the Protestants still didn't know, the Protestant leaders still didn't know what the books of the Bible were. They professed Sola Scriptura, but they didn't know what the books were. They didn't have chain of custody. They went through the Greco-Roman chain of custody, which was confused. 
1546, Rome's Council of Trent declares a fixed canon is dogma and cannot be changed. So that's over 15 centuries after Jesus was resurrected and over 14 centuries after Jesus had the Apostle John write the book of Revelation. In 1611, the King James uh, version of the Bible was published, and they had the Apocrypha as part of the appendix. And in 1672, finally, the Eastern Orthodox finalized their canon at the Second Synod of uh, Jerusalem, and of course, they used some version of the Apocrypha as well. Sometime in the 19th century, that's the 1800s, the Protestants dropped the Apocrypha from their appendix of the King James Version of the Bible. Now, between the 16th and 21st centuries, Church of God leaders continued to cite the same canon of Scripture from prior to the Protestant Reformation to present. They continued to point to the Masoretic Hebrew text and a version of the Textus Receptus, or the traditional text, as the best available uh, text. So there's really two basic views of the canon. The Greco-Roman view is the one that almost all scholars, or the major scholars, accept today. It shows a lack of the chain of custody because they didn't know what the books were. They were confused. And it's because of the Greco-Roman confusion that most scholars don't believe that the true Christian church had the canon from the beginning, even though we in the continuing church of God assert otherwise, and we believe that that's wrong. That view is not only historically wrong, as I gave you some history here, but essentially goes against scripture such as 2 Peter 3, 16-17, uh, Matthew 16, 17-18. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for instruction, reproof, instruction, and righteousness, so that the man of God can be complete. Well, you couldn't be complete if you didn't know what it was for centuries and centuries. I think I've gone through some scriptural historical information, enough so that an honest inquirer, somebody who really wants to know the truth, will understand that the true church of God, the true Christian church, we have a, another book, by the way, Where's the True Christian Church Today? Again, all the books I've held up are available at the uh, uh, ccog.org uh, website. This one, yeah, this is a mock-up version, but we'll be printing one up fairly soon. But, but the text itself is there. And this is consistent with various scriptures. I mentioned uh, Isaiah 8.16 and uh, Matthew 16.18, but also Ephesians to uh, uh, 19 to 22, talking about built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The true chain of custody for the Church of God has continued as we hold the same scriptures today. But because the Greco-Romans included certain books they shouldn't have and excluded certain inspired books that they shouldn't have excluded, it's no way anyone could think they had an unbroken chain of custody. And since scholars think they are the true Christian church, many scholars, because they want to overlook aspects of church history and they don't understand where the true Christian church is today, although you can know, they said, well, ah, it took councils of men to figure this stuff out. Part of the reality is, although Jesus and Luke 12, 32 taught 
that his church would be a little flock. Most scholars accept that the bigger groups, uh, the Greco-Romans and the, and the Protestants, uh, therefore represent Christianity. And so they overlook what happened. They overlooked the true chain of custody that we have. Now, the truth about the Word of God is important to know, which is one of the reasons why I wrote this book. And I realize it's a bit scholarly, and uh, it's not the most exciting book for some people in different spots. But it's important. I want to go to the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 20. And I want to read uh, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now they were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God. So it's important to know the right books. Who wants to die for a lie? If you're in Revelation 20, go down to verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Now these books mentioned are the books of the Bible. You're going to be judged by those books. Isn't it important to know what they are? And the true church of God has known this from the beginning. Despite claims from many scholars to the contrary, the true canon was known by the end of the first century, uh, with the Old Testament being rechecked in the second century by Melito. Early church of God Christians, most all of which are considered to be saints by the Greco-Roman Protestants, including Papias, Polycarp, Melito, Plicrates, Serapion, essentially attested to the fact that the Church of God had the full canon in the second century. And that knowledge was basically passed on to them by original apostles like the Apostle John. I've mentioned this before, but there's a document called the Harris Fragments that specifically says that John passed the canons on to Polycarp. It's interesting, I haven't seen that in other books I've read about the canon. <laughs> And this is also later confirmed by other groups with at least distant ties to the Church of God, like the, the Nazarenes. And it was a factor in the Greco-Roman churches uh, agreeing to accept the books that are currently in the New Testament. Jerome consulted with Church of God people, people who were keeping the Sabbath, people who were not eating unclean meats, people who were keeping the biblical holy days. As, and he also, yes, he conferred with the Jews as well. And this is also confirmed by the realization that the Roman and Eastern Orthodox Catholics say that their Apocrypha, the extra books, are not quite in the same category as the other ones, uh, which is a list of books in the Old Testament that's accepted by other Jews, the Church of God, and most Protestants. There exists proof that in the early 17th century, Men who held Church of God doctrines cited uh, the canonical scriptures authoritatively. Uh, I've read, for example, a book written by a Roman Catholic priest by the name of Falconer called A Brief Refutation of uh, uh, John Trasky's uh, Positions. And he shows that 
John Trasky was citing scripture. And later, in the 17th century, Church of God leaders were uh, citing scriptures in English in their writings. The Church of God has known the scriptures since the Apostle John passed them the knowledge of that on to leaders such as Polycarp of Smyrna. Now, since Jesus said in John 17, 17, the Word of God is truth, and Jesus frequently cited books of the Old Testament, but not the Apocrypha, and Jesus taught that Christians needed a rock-solid foundation. You can read about that in Matthew 7, 26-27. Christians need to realize it's important to know which books counted as the Word of God and what church knew. You know, the New Testament teaches that God's true ministers are tasked with helping people understand what the Word of God means. I'm not going to read that, but you can read that in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And we in the Continuing Church of God are among those that have striven to faithfully do that in the 21st century. Now, it's true that many people of different faiths were involved with preserving and translating the Bible. But they themselves didn't give the world the Bible. God gave the world the Bible. The Bible has been known in its final form, at least the books of the Bible, by the true Church of God, faithful Church of God, since the Apostle John passed the knowledge of the Old and New Testament canons on. A chain of custody of the knowledge of the books of the Bible has existed in the Church of God from the Apostles to the present time and to learn more about all of those type of subjects, again, we have these different books. Who gave the world the Bible? Again, available at ccog.org. Where is the true Christian church today? The continuing history of the Church of God, since most scholars overlook various parts of church history because they've already concluded that the Greco-Roman Protestant churches are the true church. And as far as Protestants go, we have a book, uh, uh, Hope of Salvation, that explains how the continuing Church of God is not Protestant. Um, anyway, but, but, but for, but for more on the Bible, again, and more details for what I was going over today, you can check out our free book, Who Gave the World the Bible, available at www.ccog.org, as well as our other books, which are all free. This is Dr. Bob Teal for the Bible News Prophecy Channel, and urging you to believe the Bible and truly know that God gave the Bible, and he had it, the chain of custody through the true Church of God.